It's the Persistent and Nasty Podcast at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe 2023 series. The episodes will be released at various different times, so make sure that you have subscribed so you get notified when a new episode has dropped. We have some amazing guests coming up for you and I know that you won't want to miss them. They will be everything from circus performers to theatre makers to singers to spoken word poets and we can't wait to share all of them with you. Remember, if you are taking part in the Edinburgh Festival Fringe or you are just going for a visit, remember your rain jacket, your comfy shoes and a pair of shorts because you never know the weather that you're going to get in Edinburgh. But what you are guaranteed is some incredible pieces of theatre. Enjoy the episode and remember... Stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast, Edinburgh Festival Fringe Series 2023. I hope that you're all well, looking after yourselves, uh, being kind to yourself and taking care of each other. In today's episode I am joined by Irish playwright Kira Elizabeth Smith. We chat about Kira's new show, Lilo, which is on at the Traverse Theatre from the 3rd to the 27th of August. And before that, a two-week run at the Abbey Theatre in Dublin from the 17th of July to the 29th of July. Um, We chat about the process of making this show, uh, Kira's move from being a performer to a playwright, how vital it is that our government support the arts because what it gives our entire society. Um, We also discuss an experience Kira had when she worked in a theatre and that's a little trigger warning for um, harassment and bullying at work and how that has had an impact in Lilo, although Lilo takes a look at this from a comedy aspect. So in a similar vein to chatting with Emily Beecher about taking something and using comedy and moving forward with it. And I'm I'm really excited to see the show and I think uh, for all of you going to Edinburgh, you will be too. And I know that today's episode uh, is a really great listen for everyone because we talk about so many things. We talk about not being able to get into the room when you're a performer. We talk about um, people in our family who, you know, in generations gone by really should have been performers, but because of background and needing money, that just wasn't a possibility. So a really uh, brilliant and mixed episode for you all. Remember to like, download, subscribe and review the episode. It really does help get all of our guests heard and listened to by as many people as possible. All the details for Lilo are in the show notes of today's episode. Remember to follow us on all social media. Twitter at Persistent Nasty. Instagram at Persistent and Nasty. Facebook Persistent and Nasty. Check out our website www.persistentandnasty.co.uk for all the ways that you can get in touch with us and how you can get involved with the blog and the coffee mornings and our newsletters. All the details are there. You can follow Louise and I on social media as well. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Twitter and Instagram. And I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and at Elaine.Stirrett on Instagram. Oh, I'm also at Elaine.Stirrett over on Threads, so you can follow me there. For today's episode, oh, I say whatever you want. You know, we're uh, into our festival season, so maybe you need something sugary to keep you going. Maybe you need that caffeine... Maybe you need a glass of wine, uh, sparkling something or other, or you know, you can always just have a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Are you recording uh, audio and pictures? Just, it does record both, but just audio will go out. Oh, sweet Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it's so funny. Like, um, who was I talking to about this actually? And oh, somebody was saying, oh, you know, like you really should. It was about kind of amplifying your podcast and all that. And they were like, you know, people really want to like see faces. And I was like, but it's a podcast though. Yeah. I'm like, is that not the whole, like, otherwise we're just watching a YouTube video. Yeah. No. 
And I, and I and I do get like why like because the way we you know live our lives and all of that but I'm also like Louise and I have chatted about it and I think because sometimes like on this podcast we can talk about some really vulnerable stuff yeah and I think like people there's something about just knowing that it's just your voice and not the rest of you that yeah absolutely I mean it would feel you it feels a little bit freer in a way if your image isn't being captured and as well yeah. as your voice yeah uh, no I'm please god no <laughs> no thank you I also I like that I get to picture people and I like the little surprise or when you do google them and go oh that's what they look not yeah good yeah extra level I absolutely I also think like it's because I love listening to podcasts and I think a lot of it is because I love listening and feel like I'm with them and yeah. I think if like the ones that I've kind of gone oh I will watch the video recording thing and I'm like oh this doesn't feel like I'm now with you no like and you know what it's nice to give your eyes a rest for God's oh my sake. god yeah just put oh, the phones in I love about podcasts uh and audiobooks is just not looking at a screen yes you yes. know which is the most boring thing anyone's ever said but it's true it's so true <laughs> I sound very like my nanny, but you know. But your nanny's right, though. So, (laughs) Um, Kira Elizabeth Smith, welcome to the podcast, Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Um, so Kira is playwright and um has a show coming to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, which we will chat about very soon. But before that, Kira, let's have a little potted history of you, how you came into this wonderful, crazy, eccentric uh industry of ours, and uh, what's brought you to this point? Yeah. Um. Well, I I'm from Dublin. And I was born, no, I always... I was like, yes! <laughs> in Mount Carmel Hospital. No, let's not go there. Uh, I I was acting from quite a young age. I was quite a shy child. A, a lot of videos of me hiding behind my mother. Uh, and I had a wee speech impediment. Uh, and I was sent to speech and drama to, to I don't know, to get me out of my shell, maybe. And I think it worked a little too well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I always wanted to act. My my nanny was an actress uh, who probably could have, she would have been a wonderful professional actress and she wasn't able to, she had to go uh, and get a wage. But I was always interested in it. And I uh, went to drama school in Ireland, which I think is quite different to drama school in the UK. Drama school in Ireland, it's university. It's uh, essentially free. You pay administrative costs. It was a college called DIT and it was fantastic, but it was a lot of our classes were in a prefab, which was uh, structurally compromised by weeds growing in the prefab. (laughs) Uh, But it was a great course and I met gorgeous people there. And when I left, I the theatre scene in Ireland, I I don't know if you know, in particular, Dublin is incredible. There's a lot of theatres, a lot of really small theatres. Um, there's a lot of work being made constantly. I mean, there would be anything from sort of three to eight shows on a night in a, like any given night in Dublin um, and a lot of new writing as well. But I couldn't get uh, I couldn't get an audition even for any of the production houses. And it was really frustrating me. So um, I started to write and I had been writing little bits and never showing anybody because I was deeply embarrassed about it. Uh, But for years, I'd been writing little bits. And I think when I was about 25 or 26, I showed one of my best friends um, this little scene I'd been writing and said I'd love to apply to this gorgeous work in progress festival uh, that happens in Dublin every year called Seen and Heard. Um, it's it's super lo-fi. You don't really need anything. So you don't need a producer. You don't need designers. It's it's really the whole festival is set up so you can try and fail gloriously if you want to. You get like, yes. isn't it? It's, inc- it's an incredible festival. You get like maybe two, three nights. Uh, you get a half an hour slot and you're paired with another team. So you're getting their audience as well. Anyway, so I applied to, to Seen and Heard with uh, two of my very good friends who are actors 
spectacular actors. And uh, once I once we did it, I was like, oh, it's writing. <laughs> I love writing. And I and I kind of found that that was yeah, that was just what I wanted to do. So the first thing I ever put on was probably 2015. Um, and I just kept writing and putting on plays. And uh, a few years ago, I decided to stop acting because I wasn't getting the same level of joy from that. And it was a really good decision. So most of my time is spent um, writing, uh, writing theatre, uh, writing some stuff for TV as well. And also now trying to um, I'm working on a feature film and I just finished. We just finished shooting a short film that I wrote as part of Sharp Shorts. Yay. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and yeah, and uh, I live in Portie in Edinburgh as well. I moved over in 2020 from Dublin. Um, I kind of spend my time between between Dublin and uh, and Edinburgh. And I have a show in the Fridge Festival and that's me. I have a show coming up in Edinburgh Fringe called Lilo and the Traverse. It's the first thing that I'll have on in the Fringe Festival. So it's really exciting. And what a, a way to start your festival experience as a writer at the Trav. You know, yeah, I don't know how how I don't know how we snuck in there. <laughs> we did. It's someone's <laughs> oversight, presumably. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. Um Oh, like so many things. I think like one of the first things that jumped out when you were talking about that, just because, you know, that conversation about your nanny and how she was an actress and not being able to do it because she had to make that wage. And there's this constant conversation I think we have, particularly as women, about how we balance our joy and our love of the craft that we adore and that we're, we're really good at with being caretakers in whatever form that is and I think that 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 just really struck me and I'm sure there will be people listening who'll have kind of similar experiences of that yeah I um yeah and I suppose on that I think it's really important uh well you know as much as you can to be super transparent about like how you got to a stage, regardless of what stage you're at, how you got there, how you funded it, how you financed it. Um, because it was always quite a heartbreaking thing in our family. You know, everybody has said what a fabulous actress my nanny was. And at the time there were Abbey players, which were like a company of actors that the, the National Theatre of Ireland, the Abbey Theatre took on. And she was invited to be in the, the Abbey players and, um the her family needed the wage so she went to work in a bookshop because you know she had to uh and she continued acting um and you know she was a spectacular person uh but it's I feel so privileged that I'm able to work full-time you know in in theater and in writing and, and and what I love um but you know like it's a hard old slog to, yeah. to make, yeah. make your wage. Like there's there's a lot of a lot of diversifying, and the reason I was able to start working full time professionally as as you know as a writer was um well I I'd, I'd always been working jobs. I've been working since I was about thirteen part time jobs because I was fascinated with being able to earn your own money, buy your own sweets. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and I liked working. So I've, I've worked, um, I've worked loads of different jobs, like obviously office administration, but deli counter, making sandwiches, cleaning floors, uh, you know, video shops. I worked as a makeup artist for a while. Um, I worked in <laughs> like a, the debt company in a medical supply company. Like I don't, I didn't yeah. know what they did. They just, <laughs> I do not know what you do. I'm here, but I don't know what you do. <laughs> they didn't really ask as well. So <laughs> that sounds like their fault. But uh, I, up up until I was about, um, I would say my late 20s, I was constantly working. So I left college. Um, I left college late because I was a confused individual and did a couple of courses. Uh, I left like uh the drama course that I went to um, probably 2013 
um it was probably in my mid-20s um and I the last job I had you know was a full-time job actually working in a theater in Dublin um that I you know like would have killed I would have killed to work in I was working as a production uh assistant and a casting assistant as well which is an incredible job and I also had um a stint as the company manager for a tour to South Carolina for a month you know it was wild but there was uh there was just a, a really a bad culture of bullying and sexual harassment in the company um no one had a great time you know it was it all became very public a couple of years ago uh but I decided to leave my job because I was having a really horrible time and I said to myself look as soon as you can't pay your rent get another job um and then this scheme came up that the Irish government do that it's like an entrepreneurship scheme so you have to go you have to pitch your business and they pay you a weekly wage for two years um and I yeah it's bananas now it's not a lot of money but it's enough to get pay your rent and get like pay your groceries but everyone's pitching like small business there so I went and I pitched myself as a writer and like I I pitched really hard because they were like I don't see how you'd make any money from this (laughs) (laughs) so I had to kind of like got all I got all these letters of support and stuff and um yeah and then you know I got I got that entrepreneurship scheme um so I was able to genuinely not really make any money from writing for a good few years uh I was really, really lucky to get that. Um, and then, you know. But that's so, like, sorry to interrupt, but it's just no, like, no. that's it's that thing of like, what we get as a society when we support our artists. Yeah, absolutely. In, in whatever, in whichever art form it is that you're, you're creating. Like what we then get as a society is, um, an amazing exhibition, a brilliant novel that you're going to read, a piece of music, a play, something that's then going to be turned into a television series that you are then going to consume and that's going to give you joy. And then so it's this idea of like the government putting money into you to create that is yeah. so important and vital. And also, as you say, gave you time to not have to worry about doing the other hustle jobs that you've got to do totally. to live. Totally. I mean, and it it allowed me to like get experience writing because like I didn't, uh, you know, I never went to a writing course or um, I, you know, have a lot of experience in theatre and, and as acting as well. But uh, like having those two years to play with and to just write and to figure out um, how, how, how to write. I don't know if I figured that out yet, but I, <laughs> but you know, it was, it was incredible. And to be able to pay my rent was just an incredible. Not take, not ask anyone for a loan, not ask the bank for a loan or anything like that. And um, it also sort of allowed me time to build up contacts and, you know, peddle my wares as a writer. Um, and that's it. Like there's so much in this industry, isn't there about, you know it's the connections that you make and it's so frustrating like you talked earlier as well about being an actor and not being able to get into those rooms and all of that kind of stuff and I know plenty of our listeners will be feeling that and like I myself have felt that and probably still do to a point but now I think it's more because they're like shit we're not inviting her in because she's just <laughs> gonna be like uh you, this is not okay this is not okay <laughs> um so I think there's maybe more of that um <laughs> But it, it, there's that frustration and um, so being able to not have that fear hanging over you to actually just be able to be creative. I mean, like, I yeah, I just I was incredibly privileged to um, to have that, but not only to have that, to like have the wherewithal or like whatever whatever chance or gene that I have or but to go in and pitch something that's not pitched to artists um and even as as a writer like I know there are other artists that that I don't think they would have been able to maybe pitch as um I don't know maybe convince because as a writer I have some sort of agency in terms of when I work who I pitch to you know as an actor a lot of the time you're left 
at the behest of others. Um, so like, yeah, I think I, I was really, really lucky to get that. I was really lucky to, to do that. And I feel, um, yeah, I think, it, I think you made a really good point there in terms of like, that's, you know, when you invest in people, that's what you get, like, you know, and, um, I, and it's, it's, it's amazing that I have a, a, a show in the fringe and in the traverse and like, it's, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea at all, but some people, um, there was a run of it last year in Dublin and the feedback was really lovely. And, and it seems to have really struck a chord with some people. Um, and like, I think that's, that's incredible. That's such a gift. Like, but, uh, yeah, it's people, pe a lot of people took a chance on me, you know, but I think it's there is always that part of it as well. It's about taking a chance. But I think also something you just said there about uh, learning how to write, quote unquote, or like whether you've got it right. But isn't I think that's the thing about being a creative in whatever field you are that we're always we should always still be learning. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think like the moment that you think you know it all is the moment that yeah, maybe definitely don't. <laughs> I feel like the only thing I've picked up in my experience is uh, nobody knows what they're doing ever. I think <laughs> nobody knows. Everybody's just kind of winging it. Uh, and I've spoken to quite like experienced uh, writers and they're like, I don't know. I just don't know what's going on. Do you know what's going on? Like, it's, And it's, there's something very freeing about it because we're all just, I mean, you're all just trying something. Um that transparency that you talked about right I think if everybody was yeah. a bit more like listen I've got no idea what's going on right now but we're just yeah. going to go with it and see what happens I think everybody would be like cool great let's just give it a bash yeah 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 I mean there was something lovely that uh, is it Layla in the last episode of your podcast oh Le uh, Layla Josephine yeah like oh, she said it's literally gone from my head now. Oh, but she said if she had any advice to someone, it's just keep making, like keep going and keep making. And I thought that was such incredible advice, like, because there's, I don't know, this, uh, you feel this pressure to like get everything right or know everything or, you know, I don't know why you feel like that. You couldn't possibly know everything yeah. or anything, uh, but it's a, it's about the, you know, persistence. <laughs> um, I mean we have definitely talked about that a lot like with various different guests about that idea of like not being able to fail like and we talked about it with Layla as well like that idea of like what happens when you fail like because she talked about groom and she was like oh my god this is a disaster and I've failed and I've wasted all this public money and I remember saying to her <clears throat> and it's in the podcast um, but you didn't waste the money because you employed people yeah so people yeah. had work, like that money was not wasted. That yeah. paid someone's rent, that paid someone's groceries, it paid, like, you know, paid for them to be able to then do their next thing as well. So it's like, and it wasn't obviously a failure. <laughs> no, like, no, of course not. But like also what qualifies as a failure? It exactly. Really, as like if the brief is to make the film or write the film or do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like say in the brief, write the best film ever. <laughs> like, or you know, I, I like I'm I'm interested in I'm really interested in failure and I'm really interested in what um what failure means to different people. Uh and I think, you know, I, I had a real luxury of of the you know, the first thing I put on was in a festival that's kind of geared for failure, you know. Um and I mean that in the best way possible. Like they want people yeah. to try things. They want yeah. people to fail gloriously and go, cool, that didn't work. Let's try something else. Look at what we've learned from that. Cause you only learn from failure. You don't, you don't learn from success really. Yeah. Definitely. Um, like it's this, uh, the, these two women uh, run the festival, Quiva Connolly and Kleena Jukes. And um, they, I think they applied for funding from the Irish government last year. And like, largely speaking and, I suppose I'm I've lived in Belfast I've lived in Edinburgh and I've lived in in Dublin and there there feels in Ireland in the south of Ireland like there's a lot of access to funding in a way uh which is fabulous um but the on this occasion the girls applied for seen and heard the festival to get funding and they were rejected and there was uproar 
because they had to cancel the festival. Like, so they canceled it a couple of months in advance. Um, and I think, to be fair, it was rejected on a technicality. It wasn't necessarily the quality of the application. And also, this is my, uh, I gleaned this information from third-hand conversations. So, I, you know, but it was, uh, there was uproar about it. And a lot of people wrote uh, to the Arts Council to say how important the festival is and how many people got their start in the festival and how, you know, like the Ireland's worst place without the festival. And they they re-looked at the application and uh, the festival went on. That I mean, year. that is amazing in itself, right? People power, right? Like that's just... 100%. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would... So many things. I obviously want to talk about Lilo because that is um, why you're here. Um, uh, but you t- kind of touched upon working in an environment where there was a lot of bullying and a lot of harassment um, going on. And I wonder just like the impact that then has like for you as a writer and a performer and how you've then taken that on, I think is what I'm kind of getting at. Sure. Um, I mean, that... Uh, that if you're is- all right talking about it. Yeah, of course. I'm just uh, just gathering my thoughts. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> That instance um, was, I worked for a couple of years um, in a theatre in Dublin, like very well-known theatre. And it's also, it's sort of quite well, decently documented online. Um, And um, the artistic director had been in situ for, I feel like it was something crazy, like 20 or 30 years, a long time, decades, a long, long time, way too long for someone to be in the same position. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, um, with that power, <laughs> uh, often comes very bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that kind of obsolete power, um, um, or absolute power, excuse me. Um, and the artistic director had a very bad reputation of, you know, be largely being quite abusive, uh, um, harassing employees and artists, and just being largely inappropriate, um, wildly inappropriate. Uh, and I knew that a bit when I went in, and when I went in for the interview, I mean, I just wanted to work in a theater. I like, I really, I would have swept the floors. I just wanted to work in a theater. Um, um, when I went in for the interview, I was, you know, asked, was I aware of the artistic director's reputation? And uh, like, did I think I was able to handle it, you know? Um, and it was it was quite bad. I think what was worse than the individual's behavior was everybody else's behavior around it. So the other staff and positions of power had, um, I don't know, they were perpetuating that kind of behavior. Some of them were were acting like the artistic director. Mm. Some of them were just ignoring it. Um, anyway, I left. And then a couple of months later, uh, the, that artistic director resigned. Um, he was uh, finished, I suppose. And then a, a lot of women started coming forward about like experiences, very bad experiences that they'd had with him. Um, I contacted one of those women and um spoke to her a little bit and it turns out that I was one of the only women in recent years that had had bad experience as his employee but had also complained about it in writing to the theater at the time so um yeah so uh, what happened was there was a legal case after that. Now it never went to court, but because uh, I had told management about my experience and in one instance, there was one instance when he slapped me <laughs> that um, on the ass. Yeah. In front of people, it was, it was really, it was like really. And really again, a- talking about not being on, people can't see my face. Nobody can see my jaws <laughs> literally on the ground. Yeah, um, I, I always sort of laugh when I say he slapped me because I don't know what other way to deliver that information, I think. But look, um, yeah, because the theatre knew about it, there, yeah, there was uh, grounds for a legal case that didn't go to court, thankfully. Um, but I think what, to answer your question, what I really noticed about the impact is that 
that kind of harassment and and prolonged bullying environment is a really, really effective way to hurt someone. Because after the individual is removed from that environment or taken away from, you know, the source of the torment, uh, that damage continues because you internalize it. You actually start damaging yourself. Mm. Um, And I think that was manifesting in different ways in my behavior and like as a person and then also in my writing um and it's interesting because it's I think it's it's one of the things that the play deals with and uh, uh, the, the play was written sort of three years after all of that happened three maybe four years after that happened um but it was the first time that I felt like I had a handle on what had happened if if you know what I mean yeah. um and it was also I think the fallout of all of that was fascinating uh because there's a real urge to vilify the monster, you know, the source of the of the problem. Um, and that was just um, incredibly unhelpful and false because it's not just one person. Mm-hmm. It's never just one person. Um, it was there was a whole kind of system in place. And that, you know, with a lot of a lot of these instances and these institutions, there's a system in place to allow that to happen. Um, I mean, there's, yeah, I'm not saying anything new there, um, but it's, a, it, it kind of, I suppose, it kind of sparked something in me that I was like, that's so interesting to, you know, when it's so easy to label people and uh, that's, it's really dangerous, actually. Um, and, you know, like, just because, someone has been a victim of of you know that behavior or that doesn't automatically make them inherently good or you know like because they perpetuate damaging behavior and um yeah that's that's kind of what the play deals with it's like the the balance between ver- victim and perpetrator and how that can switch um it's firstly i'm so sorry that happened to you oh, um well thank you for sharing uh, with us um but it's just it's um something that we've talked a lot about and i've been involved with federation of scottish theaters as like listeners will know uh creating uh, guides with an amazing group of uh, people um mm. to deal with sexual harassment particularly in our industry and it does it also covers all forms of harassment but um and I think like um when the guides were launched, I had to do a a speech and I was like, um, the big thing that really struck me the whole time, and it's what you've just said there is it's a culture that we've allowed to happen and breed for decades. And that doesn't just go away when you get rid of one person. Uh, because as you say, it's like it's it's ingrained in the building. It's making me think about your prefab uh walls walls, right it's the weeds growing up through it it's like that's like it's that thing and I think um that takes a lot of work for us to get rid of that yeah and to acknowledge Mm. do you know it's it's so easy to go look at this demonstratively bad person you know being incredibly inappropriate let's get them out of here and we're all fine you know um but then it's that thing of like but you're not all fine because you let that go for years yeah and and likely you know there's some sort of Stockholm syndrome thing going on there yeah like that you know you are also uh yeah I think I just think in general like nothing is black and white nothing's clear-cut um and we're all in you know to varying degrees, horrible, or have to have the potential to be horrible and have the potential to be really good, yeah, as well. Um, yeah, and that I think, uh, th- and thank you for saying thank you, for, <laughs> like, or for saying sorry, but I, I feel quite comfortable to talk about it now because it, there has been, you know, there's been a lot of time in between. Um, I think 
when I, I wrote this play or finished this play, excuse me, last year, and it went on in Dublin Fringe Festival, which is an incredible fringe. I was going to say the most incredible fringe, but then I remembered Edinburgh and I stopped. <laughs> Dublin Dublin Fringe is, is, honest to God, like if anyone has a chance to work in it, it's it's just wonderful. It's, uh, it's a curated fringe festival, so it's quite small, but uh, um, it's the work, the the level of work is is fantastic. But um, we we put it on last year in Dublin Fringe, and I think because of the the subject matter now the the story in the play isn't exactly what happened obviously it's it's an amalgamation of you know some things that have happened and also lots of things I made up um but I was you know on the verge of a nervous breakdown uh for a number of reasons we we didn't get we actually we didn't have an opportunity to apply for funding to make the piece um so I sort of scrabbled together a budget from you know asking theaters if they would support us with free rehearsal space or could I do a workshop for them and maybe they would give us some money so we had a very like it was made on a it was made for a song as my nanny says mm-hmm. <laughs> for nothing uh like everybody took a pay good every got paid everybody got paid something but tiny amount of money um and I was also producing it as well because I don't know sometimes with with my own work I'm or in the past I have been a bit nervous about asking other people to come on board and um I can produce I've produced for a very long time I only really produce for myself um I shouldn't because <laughs> because yes we all know why we shouldn't produce our own work <laughs> uh, but it was a it was horrible um I mean the team were incredible uh but the you know and the experience was incredible getting, was, getting oh, it up on its feet the horror yeah it was yeah. horrible getting I, that money together is one of the most stressful things huh. Jesus Christ I like and even when you have money and you're like proud that you've gotten a little bit of money that you can you know buy someone a pair of socks or whatever <laughs> like uh yeah I think it was just the the pressure between trying to make something that was good and then also trying to sell your own show that is essentially about sexual assault which largely in theater gets an eye roll so I didn't use the word like sexual assault the word sexual assault at all like it's really about a woman trying to get over a period like a an episode of post-traumatic stress and in that uh ends up kind of getting muddled in the victim perpetrator roles um but it was yeah it was just it was really really hard uh in terms of my own emotional state uh but now I think yeah I feel like I've had some space from it um I feel like very comfortable to talk about uh what the impetus for the play was as well um and I think you know it's important to say things that happened out loud yeah, it's really important. It's really, really important. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and Lie Low is a comedy look at it, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they, you won an award last year at the Dublin. We were nominated for, for a few awards and uh, our our lead actress won Best Performer at Dublin Fringe. Yeah, we were nominated for Best New Play at Dublin Fringe as well, which is was really lovely. And then a few Irish Times Theatre Awards, um, which was surprising. Delight, delightful. Very surprising. <laughs> um, so tell us about Lilo. So we've got a kind of idea of what it is because you've mentioned it and how it intersects with everything that's gone on. But I just love, like, first of all, I love the poster of the duck. <laughs> I was like, this is genius. I love it. Thank you. I, like, it's a, it's, I don't if, if you haven't seen the poster, it's like a white background with um, a duck mask, someone in a in a duck mask and a green T-shirt. Um, but that I mean, this that that poster is a great example of how poor we were. I took that. <laughs> I took that in our flat in Portobello and I just asked the director to put the duck mask on and hide in an alcove because I was like, look, we don't have any money. Just go put this on. <laughs> like, uh, 
Well, I love it. So <laughs> thank you. The mask plays quite a big part in the in the play as well. Um, so the play is essentially about um, a woman in her late 30s called Faye, who a year ago um, experienced something quite traumatic. There was a break in in her home. And a year later, she is suffering from insomnia. She can't sleep. Um, and she's in good form. Like she, she spirits are high, but she'll do just about anything to sleep again. So she enlists the help of her brother, Nisha, um, who is kind of estranged. They haven't spoken in about a year. And uh, she wants to try a form of exposure therapy to get back to sleep again. But Nisha has his own motivation for coming over to to ask Faye for something, essentially. And chaos ensues. But yeah, it's like it's a. <laughs> It's a dark comedy. I think I, I'm really interested in um, form and, you know, what's the right form for the story. And I think it's, it has a lot of surreal elements. And I feel like, you know, trauma <laughs> is such a heavy subject that uh, I think the only way or the only way I feel really comfortable exploring quite dark areas or putting that on stage is if there's a, a healthy dose of comedy in there as well so yeah we call it a dark comedy great I, I mean I I agree I think there's something because it gives everyone that um let like yeah. yeah just you get to like get rid of some stuff by laughing so it gets it out of all that stuff that's going on inside and then it's like Oof, okay cool now I can take on the next bit because I've had that moment of yeah it's very um, it accessible, you know, yeah. as opposed to like uh, something that you have to experience in a way. And and that's not uh shade, that's no shade against any other plays about sexual assault, but like or you know, uh, sexual harassment or anything like that. But I do think that having that lightness in it, like uh just allows people to access something slightly deeper. And then it's it I feel as well if if you can do it successfully, it's also um a really marked change when you do change the the temperature in the room or the tone and and something happens immediately that's not funny at all you know yeah um, it's also yeah. real though as well um it's about and um emily beecher who we had on just the other day who's talking about a uh, her play that's at the festival as well um summer camp for broken people hers is based around a trauma that has happened as well but it is we talked about uh you know you looking at something because actually the experience of life is we find humor all the time yeah like even in even when you're in your most darkest moments like she talked about it you know you're in your darkest moments and the gallows humor that come out of that yeah because there's something in us that it, it makes it accessible and real whereas if we're just having trauma poured on us then I don't actually know if everybody gets the message then no I think it's I mean like I think you have to sort of almost tune out for a while to be able to take if it's if well you know I mean I think that's yeah if it's just kind of that one tone um or certainly I do I kind of have to tune out tune out for a little while um I also don't know I suppose like I'm not trying to traumatize an audience as well do you know like mm. uh, like one of the the goals with the show was like well how do you talk about something that's had such a damaging impact on someone um without sort of traumatizing an audience or showing showing them something that they uh that they then need help for. yeah <laughs> um so I think like we were very concerned about the care for the audience um in the piece uh yeah and I do I did think comedy was one of the ways that we could I don't know extend that sort of care to them yeah no I think I think you're absolutely right and I do really love the fact that you've got this sibling relationship as well within the play because again it's another way for lots of people even if you are you know an only child you'll probably have a friend who is very similar to that feeling of a sibling and there's that different relationship you have with a sibling even if they're estranged yeah and there's also a lovely um yeah I mean you've got a lovely assumption there of like 
you know, would your brother do something? Would your sister do something? Like how much can you believe them? How much, you know, um, you, I think it's, you have a different perspective, not everybody, but like, you know, I think typically you have a different perspective of your siblings um, or maybe a blind spot for them, which mm. is, is very interesting. Mm. Uh, um, and I think one of the things that we found in Dublin is that people were really conflicted in terms of what they believed in the play because the, the play doesn't really give you a like, this is what happened answer. Um, it's sort of you're given pieces of information from both sides and kind of had to make up your own mind. Um, and hopefully you don't make up your mind, I think. <laughs> hopefully. I love that though. That's the best, the best bit of theatre when everybody's in the bar afterwards and you're having a conversation. You're like, no, 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 no. I, but I think, and they're like, no, I think. But that's what I love about art is like everybody should take, a, everybody's opinion is going to be slightly different. Yeah, I mean that's that's the joy of it like we had uh <laughs> we had in dublin uh we were in the project arts center which is this absolutely gorgeous space and we we're in their downstairs studio it's like a black box um sits seats about 90 i think and on our preview i was like like i was ready to start bawling crying i was like oh, maybe i'll jump in the bridge i like off the bridge i was like i don't i don't know if I, like if i'll be able to take this and there's a point in the play where one of the characters goes, it just says, is that too much to ask? She asks something and it says, is that too much to ask? And <laughs> this audience member went, yes, absolutely. Really loudly. Yes, I love it. Another, another audience member went, fucking hell. And I was just like, that's it. That's success, even if they hated it. <laughs> I love that. I love being in an audience when people do that. It's like one of the... It's that thing of like, oh, they're, to but it's also because they've totally forgotten that they're in a theater. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> the most beautiful part of it is like they're, they're totally caught up in the story because they're yeah. saying it out loud. They've forgotten that they're surrounded by other people. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was, it was the best. Yeah. Uh, and another, another person came up to me after the show and just said, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I was like is that good and they're like yeah 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 but what the fuck and that for me is the best reaction I've ever got what the fuck was that I love it so on what the fuck was that what is it you hope audience will take away from it <laughs> what the fuck was that what the fuck was that um I hope um I I would like it to be a kind of thrilling experience for an audience in terms of um, subject matter. And then also maybe the, the decision that they have to make in the play. I hope it's, it feels like quite an active thing for audience members. Um, I suppose whatever their interpretation is, is, is kind of what I want in a way, because I'd like people to feel like they have, a sense of ownership over that piece of theatre, you know? Um, I feel often I've been to see theatre and I've, you know, I, I love theatre. I go to see like hundreds of shows a year, but I felt like I don't know if I get the joke or I feel like I needed to have some references to enjoy that or some external information or, um, but I hope audiences feel like a real sense of ownership over Lilo. Excellent. I love that. I really love it. And I just remind everybody where they can see it and when they can see it. Obviously, being at the Trav, your times shift. Uh, so yeah. the Traverse Theatre, for listeners that don't know, um, every day we're kind of in a rotation of time slots. So uh, you just need to check. <laughs> well, we, we, quite, we got quite lucky, actually. We, uh, we um, have our time slots are basically like 1.30, I think 4.30 or 4.15. And it sort of fluctuates between those times. We got really lucky. Oh, I've, you have got really lucky. Not an early morning and not like last thing at night. Yeah, lunchtime or, or before dinner, basically. Yeah, we're really lucky. So uh, Lilo is on in the Traverse Theatre in Trav 2 uh, from the 3rd to the 27th of August. Holy shit, the 3rd of August is like so soon. I know. 
I know. And we're actually, we're doing a, a, like a two week run in Dublin beforehand. Oh, lovely. That's fantastic. But it felt like a really good idea at the time. And now I'm like, oh, we have to do it now. We have to do it on the 7th of July. Yeah. Shit, now. Okay, cool. Great. So we're in Dublin. Well, let's say, let's see where you'll be in Dublin then. So people oh, can okay. come and see you in Dublin as well. We'll be in the Peacock Theatre in the Abbey, in the Abbey Theatre uh, from the 17th to 29th of July. And we would love to have people there. Amazing. And then like four day break and then you're at the festival. <laughs> I know. I'm was... loving the commitment, Kira. Yeah, I know. Really thick. Really not <laughs> smart. <laughs> but listen, let's hope the actors will be okay. <laughs> they'll they'll be they'll be good. They'll be good. I've also got lovely times with the travel. I'm very, I'm very impressed. <laughs> um so before we finish up, we like to ask our guests a question. Um uh so we're called persistent and nasty, um, obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um taken from kind of two kind of political points in time very much in the run-up to when we created um so the based on the elizabeth warren quote nevertheless she persisted and then we love reclaiming words um <clears throat> so when previous president of the united states called uh-huh. Hillary Clinton a nasty woman for daring yeah. to give him some actual facts um and then there was obviously the twitter hashtag nasty women yeah, yeah. Uh, storm so it, it, like that's really important to us actually and I don't think I've said it for a while that kind of idea of like taking back those words that gets used against us like nasty and bitch and moany and bossy because you know they're never used like bossy is never used in a positive way <laughs> so yeah um <clears throat> what K- Kira Elizabeth Smith what does the phrase persistent and nasty mean to you good bad indifferent give me it all oh persistent nasty nasty for me, persistent and nasty for me means uh, fantastic. It means success. That's what it, that's what that phrase sounds like for me. Success, fucking success. Yes, <laughs> I know. I also love that you put fucking because it says in it. Because you know, <laughs> yeah. I so I mean, like persistence is the key for everything. Oh, <laughs> just as I said that, I was like, do you don't want to tell stalkers that? <laughs> <laughs> line one of the stalkers manifesto no <laughs> don't hurt people <laughs> I'm pursu- do you know what let's let's circle back let's <laughs> I absolutely love it I love it fucking success fucking su- keep fucking success that's what you want not the stalker manifesto one <laughs> that's really making me laugh this is that's going in a sound bite. Um, <laughs> um, Kira, thank you so much uh, for coming to chat with me today, and um, for everybody listening, all the details for um Lilo at the Traverse Theatre will be in today's show notes, and also I'll put the ones for a uh, the Abbey as well. Oh my gosh! Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been absolutely lovely to chat with you, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Lilo. Will you let me know when you're coming in and I buy you wine? Or oh, de- oh, definitely. I will let you know. We're definitely having a drink in the drive bar. <laughs> that yeah, is happening for that. sure. Thank Absolutely you. happening for sure. Um, thanks so much, Kira. And until next time, lovely listeners, stay Get nasty. nasty. <laughs> did I do that right? You did. It was brilliant. <laughs> in killer. Great. <laughs> 